0: All right, so uh, this morning, uh, still in Acts, and uh, this week we're in chapter 9, and, uh, you know, this is a pretty uh, important chapter uh, in events of history, Christian history, uh, because it uh, recounts the experience of, uh, of Saul uh, when he encounters Jesus for the first time. And, uh, of course, the conversion of Paul is so significant because, of course, we got so many of his writings today that uh, are part of Scripture, right? That uh, we, we get to read and to learn from him and, and how he interacted in, uh, with, with Jesus, but how he did ministry and the great evangelist that he was, right? And, and so there's a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, this is a pretty important figure in Scripture, right? This guy Saul who becomes Paul, right? This guy who... who who, uh, who is, uh, persecuting the church. And then all of a sudden has this encounter that radically changes him. And, and, and he, he begins to support Jesus and proclaim Jesus. And it's just amazing. And, and so, uh, anyway, it's, it's an important, uh, uh, you know, just portion of scripture, important story. Uh, but before we read acts nine, I actually want to read, uh, uh, some uh, uh, an excerpt from Ezekiel chapter one. And uh, maybe you guys know a little bit about Ezekiel or not. But anyway, Ezekiel is the prophet that they said, you know, the song, Ezekiel saw the wheel, right? And so Ezekiel is known for this, uh, this throne room vision, this, this, uh, uh, this dream that he has of, uh, of, of, you know, just the heavenly throne room, right? And so I just wanna read that to start with and you'll, I'll explain why here in a minute. But uh, let's start there. I actually have uh, a picture uh, that we found online of this vision, uh, you know, artist uh, depiction of it. So I'm going to leave that up. So you can either open it up and, and follow along with me in your are in the Bible, or you can just kind of reflect on this picture and listen as I read this uh, account of the throne room of heaven. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4. As I looked Behold, a stormy wind came out of the north in a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings. Thus, their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward, wherever the spirit would go. They went, without turning, as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel, On the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of burl, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went, and their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims, all four, were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went, and when those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels." "'Over the heads of the living creatures "'there was the likeness of an expanse "'shining like an awe-inspiring crystal "'spread out above their heads. "'And under the expanse their wings "'were stretched out straight, one toward another, "'and each creature had two wings covering its body. "'And when they went, I heard the sound of the wings "'like the sound of many waters, "'like the sound of the Almighty, "'a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. "'When they stood still, they let down their wings, "'and there came a voice from above the expanse "'over their heads.'" When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Wouldn't you like to have that vision? I told you before, I'm not much of a dream guy, right? And I just don't remember dreams. I, it, for whatever reason, that's just kind of the way God has made me. And maybe many of you are like that as well. But, you know, I, I get jealous of those who, who have dreams and vivid dreams or, or visions and vivid visions. You know, even in prayer, you know, there's, there's those that just, you know, when they're praying, they begin to see things, right? And, 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 and I, I wish I could see these things. But, I mean, don't you wish you could see this vision? Don't you you wish you could have dreamed this dream? And maybe you have in some port, right? Maybe you have had this vision of the throne room of God at some point in your life. But what a great and glorious vision to have. To to understand and to perceive, right? The greatness, the grandness, the awesomeness of God. Now, why do I read this at the beginning of Acts chapter 9? Because I, I read it because... There's an understanding that this vision was not unique with Ezekiel. So he wasn't the only one or even the first one that viewed this. In Jewish tradition, the perspective was that at, the, at Mount Sinai, when Moses was on the mountain receiving the law, that all of the Israelites saw this vision. That all the Israelites at the base of the mountain as the law is coming down saw this vision. And so Ezekiel is actually the one who sees it later on and is remembering back in some sense. But, you know, he's having this practical, this real experience with this vision. But it was, again, traditionally a perspective that he wasn't the only one that had this vision. And because of that, there was also a practice among some of the Jews to take some time to meditate on this vision in hopes that they, too, would get to experience this vision that all of the Israelite nation had experienced at the foot of Mount Sinai when they received the covenant from Moses and from God. Now let's go to Acts chapter 9. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And Ananias answered the Lord, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority for the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Acts chapter 9, brings these two scriptures together and he suggests that might it have been that Saul on his way to Damascus on this desert road riding a donkey for hours on end, perhaps even this was a, a, a close, a close to Pentecost, the celebration and the Feast of Weeks, Which at that feast, which was a celebration of the giving of the law, oftentimes Ezekiel 1 would have been read. And we don't know the timing of this, uh, the time of year that this happened, but perhaps it was even that time that maybe he had just finished the Feast of Weeks, Saul, and, and then he goes and gets and he heads to Damascus. Again, on the road, on this donkey, for these long hours, maybe he begins to meditate on Ezekiel chapter 1 and ask that he might have that vision himself. And perhaps, indeed, God did allow him to have that vision, that this bright light that knocks him off his donkey and that blinds him, that that this bright light is this vision, is this bright, fiery throne room vision. And then just like in the vision with Elijah, the one on the throne speaks. But imagine Saul's surprise when, with what the man on the throne says. I'm sure he imagined like he's he's a Pharisee of Pharisee, he's a Jew of Jew. He's he's this perfect man according to the law. He has been living his life uh, in devotion to God his entire. I mean, he's like almost thirty years old probably at this time, right? This has been the way of his life. He has always been you know faithful to God, and now so faithful that he's persecuting the heretics that are in the world, right? That he's he's bringing them to justice, that he's overseeing uh, their destruction one by one. What a man of God! What a perfect man of God. And now he has this amazing experience. He's in the throne room. He gets to see it. Oh God, what a great privilege that you allowed me to see this vision. And then God speaks from the throne. Why are you persecuting me? Perhaps explains the question (laughs) from, from Saul. Who are you, Lord? What do you mean I'm persecuting? What do you? What? I am faithful to you to the end. I'm sacrificing all my life for you. What do you mean persecuting? Who are you? I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. How does a man like Saul? who's so zealous for the law, so zealous for all of the traditions he's grown up with, so zealous that he's persecuting again the heretics. How does he go from that perspective, that passion, to totally transforming and seeing Jesus from a total different light? I think N.T. Wright is onto something here. That it wouldn't have been just a vision of Jesus, any vision. I think it, it makes sense that it's this vision because it's so connected to who God is in his mind. In Saul's mind, this is, this is the throne room. This is what it looks like. This is how it works. Like, that is God. And so for, for him to see that vision and then out of that vision, the one sitting on the throne speaking those words, I am Jesus. That's the only way, I think. Uh, maybe not the only way, but it just makes sense, right? That, that this is why the massive transformation we see in Paul. But I think, too, as well as I, as, I, as I reflected on this, like, this is amazing transformation. I mean, he, he, he's letting go of the years of tradition, the, his philosophies and all those kind of things to, to, to let go of that, to, to now have a, a zeal for Jesus instead of a zeal against Jesus. But I'm also struck by these words. Why are you persecuting me? And, and I can't help but personalize those words how how are we persecuting jesus now we may have you know grown up in the church like i have right i Gave my life to Christ when I was five. I always knew I was going to be a pastor. I mean, this is my life, right? I've always been there. I always got that figured out, right? I mean, but how am I persecuting Jesus? I've spent my life devoted to him, but, but am I actually devoted to him or am I devoted to some false image of him? And I think we have to ask ourselves the same question that Jesus asked Paul. Are we persecuting Jesus? one of the ways i see i think christians today and i'm guilty of this as well persecuting jesus is quite literally we persecute his body the body of christ we we can be so critical of other churches other pastors other christians we just we just have this critical spirit in us sometimes when it comes to other churches like, you know, maybe they're too charismatic, right? Or, or maybe they're too, you know, intellectual or, or whatever, right? I mean, we come up with all these kind of reasons why they're not as good as us. And we work to tear them down, especially if they go to certain extremes. Well, that's just too far. So they're not, you know, the holy, you know, we got to attack them. We got to go out and persecute. We got to tear them down. I got to start writing stuff on social media so that people know that this place, this is a lie. This is, this place is, this church is not, they don't want to go there, right? I mean, we have this, we are persecuting the body of Christ. Sometimes we even do it in, within our own church, looking at others and different people in our church. Now, I'm thankful that, you know, I don't, I don't get this sense from our community. This, is, this doesn't happen a ton, but it does happen, I'm sure. We look across and see how somebody is worshiping, or we look across and hear somebody and how they're speaking, and, and we, in our mind, we're just like, oh, I'm just, just defeating that idea, or that's not right, or that's not good, or that's not theology, or the theological, or whatever, right? And we can be so critical in beating up each other. I think another way that we persecute Jesus is by doing good things instead of his things. A lot of us, you know, have got this religious mindset where we just kind of have got it figured out. And this is what I do. These are the holy things that I do. I have to tell you, like, I was young and in essence I was dumb, but I remember in my early 20s being convicted by... By religion, in my own heart, that that I was striving to pray and I was striving uh, to read scripture for the sole purpose of checking off the box, and I was just convicted by the Lord, like you know, there is no value in that, in my kingdom. If you are just doing this because it's a duty, you're not. This is not holy. I think this is what it means that our good works are filthy rags. Because when we do good things, right, but it's for our own purposes or it's for not for his purposes, then it's really not worth much. Reading scripture to check off the box, I'm not saying that, you know, in our world we see it as value, like, in a, and sometimes we have to discipline ourselves and just do it. But understand, if that's the primary motivation for it, then we're not getting anything out of it. And at the time when I was like 20 years old, I I was so convicted by it that I said, Lord, I am not going to read Scripture ever again until I'm doing it because I love you. Now, maybe that's foolish. I don't know. But I know that I didn't read Scripture for a long time after that. Because I so wanted my reading of Scripture to be coming out of my love for him. Out of what, you know, because he wanted me to, because he was calling me in it, because he was drawing me into it. Not just because I was checking off some box. I think we persecute Jesus when we, uh, uh, when we create a life, a lifestyle that is all uh, focused on religious practices that we do so that we can feel less guilt. I have become a firm believer. I'm convicted by the Lord I, I, that, that the only thing that we should be doing at any time is what he is calling us to. If we wake up in the morning and we and he's not calling us to read Scripture, yet we read Scripture, there's no joy in that. There's no benefit in that. But if we wake up in the morning and he draws us to Scripture, then there's benefit in it. There's joy in it. There's, you know, it's, there's something that happens in that. We do too many things because they're good things. But they're not his things the things that we want, the things that make us comfortable instead of his will the things that we've always done, the traditions. And, and I, you know, the Lord is pushing so hard, and I know I've shared it from here before, but he's pushing so hard on my traditions, my philosophies, my perspectives. And these are good perspectives. I mean, I'm just telling you, like, no, these, these, these are good things. They're not like evil things. They're not heretical things. They're not things that are like, uh, ooh, no one else would believe that. These are philosophies and perspectives of ministry, of life, you know, that that are good, that I've learned through wisdom, through my life, through experiences, that he has taught me, but he is now pushing on me and saying, don't get stuck in your traditions. Don't get stuck in your perspectives. Don't get stuck in your philosophies. No matter how well thought out they are, no matter how logical they are, no matter how much you learn those from me at some point in your life, let go of those and see the new thing that I'm doing. I think so many of us are persecuting Jesus in the sense that we are just stuck in our traditions doing the things we've always done and refuse to be open to what he wants to do today, the new things that he has for us. And I think we can persecute Jesus as well by glorifying our own preferences. Coming to church and to worship, looking for the worship songs to be done in a style that I like, the songs sung that I like, that I know. So many people come and want a particular style of preaching, of teaching. Somebody come with a particular idea of what they want, you know, communicated from the pulpit, you know, theologies that they, you know, are important to them, that they want to make sure that the pastor believes the same as they do. So many people glorifying their preferences in, within discipleship as well. This is how we disciple. This is how we do things. This is, the, this is the road to discipleship. So many of us glorifying our preferences, thinking that our theology, our perspectives, our philosophies align with God 100% of the time. it's amazing that despite Saul's persecution of Jesus that he just doesn't let Saul go I don't know about you but this is uh, you know an encouragement to me that God is not comfortable allowing me just to continue in my own foolishness <laughs> that is he 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 loves me enough that he's going to cause some tension. He's going to knock me off my donkey every once in a while and say, hey, what are you doing? I mean, this is amazing to me. I mean, this Saul, like, I mean, there's so many things that God could have done with Saul. Yet he chooses to have an encounter with him. And God, even though Saul was persecuting his church and his, his message, God had a purpose for him. I love, you know, as God is speaking to Ananias, he is my chosen instrument. God had a plan for, to use Saul. And we, we see it now, right? We see the evangelism that came and, and, and the, the church that was built in the Gentile world through Saul. But God had a plan. He had chosen Saul, and he's chosen all of us. Again, we have to personalize these things. He didn't just choose, choose you know, Saul, and that's it. He's chosen us. We're all his chosen instruments. He's created all of us. He's chosen instruments. We've got guitars in here. We've got pianos. We've got drums. We've got flutes. We've got saxophones. we got tubas, right? Those are cool. I love tubas, right? We've got the cymbal section. We've got, we're all here instruments of God. And he has chosen you to be his instrument. Understanding that he is the one who created you. You know, sometimes we as instruments of God don't like the instrument that he made us into. Sometimes we're like, no, I don't want to be that answer. I don't want to be out front or I don't want to be behind the scenes or I don't want to have to be the evangelist or I don't want to have to be, you know, the prayer warrior. I don't want to have to, you know, I don't want to do that. Like that's, no, I don't want to give, you know, away and leave my family and go on mission for you. I don't want to do those things. Like, I don't like the instrument you made me, but we don't get to choose. God has chosen. He chose to create each and every one of us as a specific instrument. As instruments, we don't get to choose what we do, what our ministry is, whether we're a a, a ministry that's up front or behind the scenes, we just are just an instrument, and we just need to be open to being used. Also note that with an instrument, uh, you know, instruments can't play themselves. Like, you know, a keyboard can't just start playing on its own. If it does, then we're all going, oh, I think we've got to (laughs) go. What's going on right here? Might need to do some more prayer walking. (laughs) Um, Anyway, right? I mean, like an instrument doesn't play itself. Which means that we, as his chosen instrument, need to understand when it's time to be played and when it's not. That we allow him to choose when to put us into action and when to not. Sometimes we just get so busy doing that we don't say, well, wait a second, is God doing this? Is God the one? He's the one who breathes life into us so that we can play the tune that he wants to be played at the time that he wants it to be played. And we play the song that the master has chosen to be played. Sometimes we don't like that particular song. And I don't like that song. It just feels weird to me. I don't know, right? <laughs> but, but we allow him to have control, to play the song that he knows is the right song for the right moment. You know, some songs we don't have a big role to play in. Sometimes, you know, we only got one or two lines in that song. And sometimes we can get sucked into that, and we like think, "Oh yeah, this is my role. I just do these one or two lines, and okay, it's okay. I played. Now I'm done, and I get to sit and you know whatever." And and we just kind of get into this routine, like, "Okay, now I'm going." But every once in a while, God, the master, the instrument player, changes the song. And when He changes the song, then it's all of a sudden maybe now we've got a bigger role. I, actually, I, I've got to play most of the song now. Right? It, as instruments, we allow the master. We allow the music player to play his music at his time, his songs in his way. And we, and we play with the instruments that he's put us with. <laughs> he's the one that determines the community that we're going to be a part of, the orchestra that we're going to be playing with. Allow him to direct us. Allow him to lead us. All of this means we have to allow the master to have control of our life. This is one of the things I'm struck with Paul. Is it like out of this vision experience, now we know that he's a zealous guy already. That's proven before his encounter with Jesus. But we see you know, not only a transformation of message for him, but we see how he's willing to give so much. I, one, of the, one of the most profound, I think, parts of this for me is you know, that, that, that Saul, before this vision, is pursuing and persecuting Christians to their death. Like his zeal is driving them to destroy the enemy. After his vision encounter with Jesus... He still has the same zeal, but the methods have totally changed. Now, instead of him going and seeking to destroy, he's willing to sacrifice everything for them, for their souls. Right? 1 Corinthians 9, this amazing passage where Paul talks about how he's become all things to all people in order to win some. Like he's totally transformed. He's still zealous as ever, but instead of seeking to destroy, he's now willing to be destroyed for the message. We see his sufferings in 2 Corinthians 11 as he outlines all the things that he's endured and all the whippings that he's endured and all the jailings he's endured. And he just does it all. And then in Philippians 3, we see, he says, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care. All those things don't matter. The things that I've gained in this world, the things that I've lost in the world, none of it matters as long as I've got Jesus. When we come to Christ, when we have an encounter with Jesus, we surrender it all. We have to give it all up to him, allow him to have control, him to have power, him to have the direction of our life. Are you willing Are you willing to give up your purpose in life? Are you willing to give up your methods? Are you willing to give up your message? Are you willing to give up your traditions and your philosophies and your perspectives? Are you willing to give up your family? Are you willing to give up your body and even your life for Jesus? If you're one of the instruments that need to suffer in that way, are you willing Are you willing to give up control? Are you willing to become all things to all people in order to win some? Now this is certainly an evangelistic perspective. But how many of us are even willing to give up a little bit of embarrassment, a little bit of you know tension and anxiety to just walk across the street to meet our neighbor? Understand that this is not a salvation issue. This is an enjoyment issue. When you bow your knee to Jesus as Lord, you are saved for all eternity. Praise the Lord. But if we want to enjoy eternity right now, instead of waiting until someday when we die, then we need to give it all up. We need to give Him control. We need to follow his will no matter what it looks like, no matter how much it contradicts what we thought before, no matter what you know, it looks like in the moment, that we would have the courage and the strength to just go ahead and give it all up. Instead of seeking a fleeting joy of this world, of having hump comfort, of having, you know, like uh, the, the sense of, okay, I've got this nice routine all laid out, this religious routine. I, okay, I'm okay. I've read my Bible. I've my, I have prayed my prayers. You know, I've done my thing. So now oh, it's all nice and clean. I mean, that's a fleeting joy. For instead, let's, let's let go of that fleeting joy and instead seek the greater joy, the eternal joy, the joy that actually is satisfying. Where we get up in the morning and say, uh, no, actually, God doesn't want me to read scripture today. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to go and talk to my neighbor. I'm going to go introduce myself to my neighbor. I'm going to go, whatever it is, what, like, can we listen and follow him? Give him control. Allow him to have total control of our life. Now I want to, with this message, transition now into communion. Worship team, you can come up. The amazing beauty and, and power, I think, of this story about this experience that, that Saul had um, is that, it, you know, I think it, 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 it ignites our own imagination. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we need a bigger vision of who Jesus is. That, that he's not just some guy that's talked about in a book some 2,000 years ago but that he's real. And I guess my prayer maybe for us is that we all would have this kind of an encounter, whether we're able to see visions and dreams or not, or whether it's just some other kind of experience that he allows us to have, that we would know without a shadow of a doubt who Jesus is and that he is with us. As we go to communion, I want to ask you to consider two things One, as you take the bread, I I would ask you to to repent of any areas of your life where you are persecuting Jesus. Whatever the Holy Spirit brings. So as you take the bread, I want you to uh, repent of that. But then I also want you to commit to working for him, to working with him. And then as you take the cup, I want you to to accept the instrument that he's created you to be and then give him total control and allow as you take that cup, his blood to wash through you and have control of all you are, not just today, but in tomorrow and all the days that follow. We have communion elements that are set aside in the back actually this this morning. And so Glenn is gonna be at that table. I'll go back to this table over here. And then we just ask you to come and receive the elements. And as after you receive the elements, you can head back to your chair and then take those elements when you're ready. Uh, Grace and the worship team are going to play a little bit of instrumental music for a little bit and then they'll go into kind of our main worship set and, and, uh, and so then just want you to again just respond to the Lord and worship how, whatever that looks like and, and maybe he is going to draw you into scripture during this time and if he does then, then do it open it up and start reading maybe he's going to draw you into these songs if he does then draw in uh, maybe he's going to ask you to raise your hands raise your hand maybe he's going to tell you to get on your knees do, just listen to the Holy Spirit and how he wants you to worship during this time Whatever that posture is, whatever that looks like, whatever the actions that he wants you to do, let's just make this time to be all of us individually allowing the spirit to lead and direct what, how we respond to him in this time. Okay, and then in a little while, we'll bring up our prayer team as well and they can be praying for you. So uh, yeah, give me a second to get back there and then uh, go ahead and come back and receive the elements. yes, Lord, we we want to see Jesus. Lord, I reminded us all me, what is man, what is woman that you are mindful of us? Ah, Lord, I I think about the vision of Elijah, I just it's so incredible. It's, It's so powerful. It's So holy and overwhelming. And Lord, this this is who you are. And yet, Lord, we see in the life of Saul and in our own lives how you are so personal to us as well. Lord, that you are holy and awesome, you are powerful and mighty, you are glorious. You are so intimate with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for choosing us, Lord. Thank you for creating us purposely. Thank you for allowing us to experience the intimacy with you and, and that, Lord, that when we're with you, that, that we're doing stuff together. It's not just a sitting around and kind of gaze at each other. <laughs> Certainly there's time for that, but Lord, you, you are always working. And Lord, you have created us to be able to come alongside you in your work, to join you in your work, to have the great privilege of doing the things that you are doing. Lord, help us, help us to understand more fully who you are. Help us to understand more fully how intimately and personally you know us and help us to understand more clearly how you want us to join you in all that you're doing, whether it makes sense to us or not, for your glory. Psalm 139, 13 and following, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it so well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not even one yet. How precious... To me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there are any grievous ways in me. And lead me, Lord, in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name amen we're gonna continue to have some worship uh playing if you'd like to join us for that you can can stick around also invite the prayer team to come up and uh and we'll have opportunity to pray for you if you would like prayer for whatever it may be please come forward we'd love to pray for you Um, and then as you feel led you can head on out in blessings amen